Welcome to Ramplify, a student-centered podcast hosted by the Center for Career Equity, Development, and Success at Suffolk University. This podcast is produced to support the ways you think about, talk about, and engage with career readiness and career self-management. As a heads up, in this episode, we cover the topic of domestic violence. If you choose to listen, be sure to take care of yourself. Hi, my name is Jake. I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Laverne Gordon, president of the Love Life Now Foundation, author, international speaker, and so much more. Laverne, how are you doing today? I am well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, cloudy and rainy in Boston these last couple of days, but I'm (laughs) staying safe. How about you? I am well, and I agree with you. I think July, all of July was menopausal with weather. (laughs) Yeah, the weather's been, it's been weird, but hopefully the fall, the winter will bring some uh, consistency. Yeah, (laughs) let's hope. Probably consistently snow, but that's fine. (laughs) So Laverne, definitely today we want to jump into some of the many hats that you wear in your professional life, in your personal life. Uh, but could you start off by telling us more about your Suffolk journey? Um, I know that you attended uh, you know, classes at Suffolk University. You were a student at Suffolk University. Could you share more about what that was like and, and what your story is? Yeah. So I am an attendee, past attendee of Suffolk University, where I entered the university to study advertising and marketing. And I did a year at Suffolk. Um, and during that year, unfortunately, and why I am doing the work that I do now, I was involved in a almost two-year domestic violence-filled relationship and subsequently escaped. Ten years later, took part in a beauty pageant, but then, you know, really wanted to continue the work once the year was up with the two titles that I had won back to back and formed an organization called Love Life Now Foundation, focused mostly on domestic violence awareness and education around the issue. And so, yeah, my year at Suffolk was eventful. It was exciting. I had moved back from Trinidad, where I had gone back to live for about two years. But prior to that, I had migrated to the state and lived with my grandparents who had lived here since the 70s and and took me in to to finish high school. Went back to Trinidad, spent the two years, came back to Boston and entered Suffolk. And at that time, I was now two years behind my peers and at 21, entering Suffolk University, working an entry-level job in corporate America. I thought I had it all together. I had watched our mother who was brutally abused by our father endure that for all the first 15 years of my life. And I continually said that would never be me. I would never let anybody treat me the way that he treated her. And unfortunately, children that grew up in abusive homes tend to go on to become victims, abusers themselves, and or fly the straight and narrow, not wanting anything to do with confrontation. And unfortunately, I was no exception. I became a victim. And so going to Suffolk that year with many peers that were well off and, you know, doing well financially, I was, you know, lower middle class. And going through this issue now myself, I I wanted nobody to know that this was happening to me. I associated what was happening to me with being weak, with being downtrodden, all the things that I thought my mother was at the time when I watched her endure this abuse. And so I wanted nothing to do to be associated with that thing. I didn't know the specific term for it then, but I knew it was bad. 
And so I kept it to myself. And by the time I escaped this relationship, when I went to the hospital and sought help for my injuries for the very first time, sitting in the ER, I had initially told the triage nurse that I had fallen in the shower. And when the ER doctor came into the room, he said, who did this to you? Because I can get you help. And that in part to me meant that my Suffolk professors at the time would potentially find out why I was on my way to flunking my first freshman year. And I wanted nobody to know. I wanted nobody to look at me, you know, differently or less than. And so I officially fessed up to the doctor, but I begged him not to share anything with anybody. I didn't want police getting involved. I didn't want any additional attention. I didn't want to be referred to a shelter. I was living in my own studio apartment at the time. I mean, I just didn't want to be associated again, anything or be blamed or shamed for having gone through this issue. So I kept it to myself and I look back on this now. And, you know, there's a couple of professors that I am in contact with at Suffolk. And I look back and say now, I wish I would have said something because I know now that they would have helped me. But right. that 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 mindset that you're in when you're going through this issue is so far down a rabbit hole that tells you, first of all, you're hearing it from your, an abuser saying that you're less than without me. If you leave me, you'll never survive. Other people are just jealous of our relationship. You know, you begin to believe these things. And so I, I again, was no exception and believed. Sure, Laverne, thank you so much for sharing so much of, of your story. It is a heartfelt story filled with compassion yeah. and filled with grit, resilience. Um, and, and so thanks for sharing it. Also, you know, within many professional worlds of work, within many academic spaces, stories around domestic violence are stigmatized. Right? Absolutely. Of course, and, I, and I'm sure that you, you know that as someone who has dedicated your work to this. It, it seems like your lived experiences have informed so much of what you're spending your life doing now. Exactly. And so with the Love Life Now Foundation, what is the work? You know, what what is the day-to-day -day and how would you describe it to be making a difference? The work, the passion work is education. A lot of what we do is centered around bringing awareness around this issue because at the time when I went through this issue, I did not know that one in every three teens went through this issue, that one in every four women, that one in every seven men are affected by this issue. I did not know about the resources that were available to me. Though the word help was presented to me, that outward was daunting. And I had so many myths around what that meant. So it's incredibly important to me through Love Life Now to not only be a listening ear, we have a toll-free line that people can call for resources and oftentimes just talk about what the end is potentially looking like in these relationships, what their next step is, where they can go and point them in the right direction for that help. And again, be an understanding, non-judgmental ear. Because a lot of the times when we get to the end of these relationships, we don't know first of all, that it is a very dangerous time for us. Abusers are often stating that over my dead body, you can't leave me. This is all about power and control, right? And if they're losing that, it sends them into a frenzy. And so you leaving is really a dangerous time. So making sure that people know and understand what safety planning is and how important that is when you decide to leave these relationships that you really should not be doing it alone or on your own, that there is help available. And outside of that, we oftentimes try to educate folks through initiatives that we host throughout the year. So at least once per quarter, we're always hosting a community initiative. And we don't take a cookie cutter approach to awareness because we know not every one initiative is going to entice someone else to want to come out to learn more about the issue and how they can be part of the solution. So we're doing a various amount of things throughout the year. We have a heelathon during the summer where folks put on their comfiest pair of heels and walk one mile in support of awareness. Mm. And that involves women. And within the last three years, 
pre-COVID, men were joining us in heels too, wearing their wedges and their Mary Janes. And it's the mm. funniest thing to see, Love but it, it. you know, it's, you know, walking a busy street in Brockton to, to raise awareness on this issue with awareness sites and whatnot. And then we have a betting drive that usually happens in the fall, October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We ask folks to donate a new twin sheet and or pillow, and those goods go back to a shelter that we choose. And oftentimes those minimalist things are things that victims and survivors need to sort of feel safe, to start over, right? They've left all their personal things behind and something like a sheet and pillow new makes them feel like brand new when they get to lie down in their own room. One of the things that I was scared about when that word help was presented to me was the idea of shelter. I thought it was a big open room with beds with a bunch of women that I didn't know and didn't understand that's not the case with domestic violence shelters. Shelters are often houses and they can take up to seven to 12 families and everybody has their own room, right? You share the common areas, but you have your privacy. And so these are the things that we try to let people know about um, and help them understand that the other side isn't so daunting, right? So we provide resources, we host these initiatives in the community, but then we also host workshops, domestic violence workshops at high schools, colleges, like Suffolk University, job spaces where we go out and we talk, you know, 60 to 90 minutes and really sort of break this thing down piece by piece so that folks can understand what the layers of this issue looks like, what being in a relationship like this looks like, how easy it can be to fall into these types of relationships, what leaving looks like, what the other side can look like, what resources are available. So it's a really in-depth workshop that really sort of dissects this issue. And so even if you've never been affected by the issue of domestic violence, you still walk away, hopefully, with sort of a behind the scenes look of what that entails. You know, you mentioned uh, some of the shame, the guilt, those heavy feelings of, I don't want people to know that this happened to me, mm -hmm. that many, many victims, many survivors feel and hold on to for years before they tell anyone because of that shame, because of that guilt. And so I'm just so grateful to you and, and to the work that you're doing, giving name, giving voice, giving yes. face to some of these stories that are otherwise untold, mm -hmm. where, where people don't feel like they can share what's happened to them or what they're going through because of that shame. Exactly. And, and so I'm very excited to talk about your book that you've <laughs> recently authored and published, The Legacy He Left Me. Yes. Could you tell me more about what this domestic violence awareness memoir is doing for your work for the community for for this untold story that's finally some some lights being shed on it thank you for that and yeah i call the legacy he left me my love project it is something that is so near and dear to me it's something that put everything that happened to me pre post and beyond in one space right in the pages of the legacy he left me and i'm just so happy that it was able to be published for many years. People had said, you should write a book. And I discounted that notion because I was so focused on building the foundation and spreading awareness. And last year, the opportunity presented itself to me. It can literally landed on my lap to be able to write the book through this publishing company that was looking to publish me. And I'm so grateful because I wrote the book. It was something that was not easy, having to go back and connect the dots of some of those details that I had shared over the years was hard. And I will not discount the fact that it landed me in therapy. Those details were really, really hard things to revisit. And I think it was about the first month in that I realized that this was a lot and I needed help dealing with the roller coaster of emotions that I was going through, putting these words to paper. And I sought a therapist and I found one in January. And, I'm, and that's one of the greatest things that's come from this writing experience is, you know, addressing my mental health. And it's something that I propose to everyone 
everyone. Now that I'm on tour with the book, I'm on a book tour currently through Paperclip Publishing, touring the country and visiting different states and talking to many groups of men and women. And there are two big joys that I get from now touring with the book is one, getting to talk to women and men who, after I'm done speaking, they come up and say, me too. Or they come up and say, my daughter is affected by this and I didn't know who to ask for help. My wife, before we met, was affected by this and I didn't realize the level of trauma that she went through. Now hearing you, this all kind of connects the dots for them and I can't wait to read your book because of it. There are so many folks that have laid on my shoulder, crying, sobbing, telling the truth, some of them for the first time. That's a big joy for me because when you speak up, when you share that this is your truth, you begin to let go of what was never yours to begin with, right? That shame and that blame has everything to do with the abuser and nothing to do with you. So that to me is one of the biggest triumphs that I have found on this book tour. Secondly, I get to talk to a lot of men. As I mentioned, this issue does affect men as well, but unfortunately 90% of the time men are the perpetrators. And when I get an audience of men that hear this story and I come from a vulnerable space and share around this issue, to hear them listen intently, enough to hear a pin drop in the room, to then come up and talk about the fact that they didn't understand how dynamic this issue was, how much more they're going to try to encourage the men and boys in their circle to get more aware themselves, that to me is like a big win because women oftentimes are advocating for this issue like myself, but men have a place in this conversation and we have to involve them. And if we don't, we're spinning our wheels, right? And so for me, prevention is where it's at. And I think this work, the book is now an extension of the work that we do through Love Life Now. And I'm completely and utterly grateful to be able to do it. Huge, huge congratulations to you. Thank you. Uh, and good luck on your tour. This is a really exciting moment and yeah. a really exciting time for the book, for you as an author. A lot of our students are really excited about the, the things they're learning in classroom. Mm -hmm. They're excited about the work that they're doing in internships and they're hoping to land a, a great first job that aligns with their passions and their values and whatnot. I wonder if you can tell me more about you know, the importance of being values driven in the work that you do. I know that the workshops that you mentioned and the content that you're covering with Love Life Now Foundation, as well as within your book, is so values driven and so close to home. It, mm -hmm. It's things that you wish that you could have read or known about when you were a student at Suffolk, when yeah. you were, uh, you know, a young person, right? So why is it important to be values driven and how do you get to the point where you can truly embed your values into the work that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. And so I will say that obviously for me, it was not a straight path to where I am now. Now, I did not go back to Suffolk after my first year, coupling the things that I held on to at the time, the shame and the blame, the potential of being found out, quote unquote, was too great of a risk. So I took a year off and the following year, I ended up going to a school where I ended up getting, I'm not going to give them any, because we're talking about Suffolk right now. <laughs> I ended up getting a TV broadcasting degree from them, you know, went on to work for Fox News in the local affiliate in Dedham and spent four years years there. It was great. The ultimate goal was that I wanted to be a reporter. And at that point, when I realized that you had to sort of start off in a very low driven market at the time, there was no way that I was leaving Boston to go somewhere upstate New York or Atlanta to try to get a job and then come back here. I left that dream behind. And the entire time that I had been working for Fox, I kept connections with an old company, the entry level job that I 
I mentioned when I, you know, started Suffolk. It was a finance company, a banking and finance. And I reached out to them after I left Fox and they took me back with open arms. So it had been this go back, come leave, come back, go relationship with this company. And by the time that I started Love Life Now as a hobby, a passion thing, it began to grow and grow and grow and grow while I was still at this banking and finance company. And the passion for that never let up until about three years in, I said to my my boss, I said, I love my job, but I'm in love with what I'm doing and I really want to give it a shot full time. And she understood. She still, however, asked me to stay on in a capacity of representing them at conferences. So I do that as an independent contractor to this date. However, that passion and that fire for love life now, as I said, never left. So I say to folks all the time, if it's something that you love, my gosh, don't put it to the wayside. Don't say tomorrow. Don't say next week or next month or I don't have the money. I mean, put it to the side. Yes. But always, always tap into it. Always do it. Yes. You need the nine to five, you know, maybe to get the head start, but really put a focus on investing, not just money, but time mm-hmm. into what you really want to do as a means to an end. Thanks so much for talking about the nuance, yeah. the messiness, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to see your success with Love Life Now Foundation with your book and, and think, man, all that success, it must have just came, you know, it must have just happened. No. Um, I don't see that the pathway from my Suffolk University degree to published author, international speaker, yeah. uh, president of a foundation. Um, but knowing that it was a stop at another institution, it was, yeah. it was getting a degree in TV broadcasting, taking those skills. Uh, not doing the work necessarily at a news agency, but right. taking those skills and still applying them. Yeah. It's a stop as a professional in leasing and finance. Yes. Um, and still doing that work. It's a, it's a part of your, your life. I, I saw in your LinkedIn that you are a leasing and finance professional by day. By day. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So <laughs> it's all of these things. And, yeah. And we can look at the single narrative of published a book right. on tour, leading a foundation. And that's all great and wonderful. And also there's so much messiness and nuance that helps you to get to the point where you are now. All all in and between. So the, the students who are experiencing that, I hope that you will live into that messiness, say yes to the things in front of you, lean into the discomfort and take risks because it can all work towards something great and wonderful in the end. You know, I'm wondering, as we talk about your story, you've been so responsive to change. Opportunities have presented themselves, some you've gone out and searched for. What's the importance of being responsive just to the world around you? Having a vision of what you want to do, but being nimble, being agile in, in the work that you're willing to do and, and the time that you're willing to put into different efforts or initiatives. I had to learn that. (laughs) You know, I think I've always been open to change, but really seizing opportunities. I was shy about that. Oftentimes I'd say, well, maybe I'll get a no. Maybe, you know, the door will be shut in my face. And I think being part of this banking and finance, again, to what you just said, is sort of taking the skills that you learn and lean into it in other areas of your life. After working in national sales for this banking and finance company, no became like part of my DNA. (laughs) And it was all almost like, okay, that no is bringing me closer to the next yes. And I took that attitude in networking. I started in the beginning of doing the work with Love Life Now, I really had to fine tune what areas and people I needed to be connected to. And that took a lot of networking events mm-hmm. <laughs> until I narrowed down like, okay, this event isn't for me, but this one is more suited. 
I don't need to be talking to these people. I need to be talking to these people. And in those moments and those times where I was faced with opportunity, oftentimes it was because I put on my big girl boots and I said, okay, Laverne, go up and introduce yourself. This is somebody that you need to be connected with. And the worst that could ever potentially happen, like in sales, is that I got to know or I'm busy or call me later or here's my email and all of that still I valued because that potentially put me closer to a conversation, a full-on conversation with the person that I needed to talk to. And so oftentimes I would do that, whether it was related to a sponsorship for an event that we had coming up, as we know with nonprofits, a lot of it is fundraising, or getting someone that I thought would really resonate with folks at an initiative that we were hosting to get the word across in terms of awareness around this issue. So a lot of different opportunities presented itself. And I always, you know, just decided to take the bull by the horn. Again, the worst that could happen would be a no. And oftentimes it's worked out in my favor. And being open to change, I think that's one of the greatest things that you can give yourself is leaving room not being so tight with, like you said, the journey, making sure that you're open to diverting a little bit, even if it's for six months or a year, to see where it leads you, what the potential of it can bring. And so I've been very grateful to have been open to change over the last, this year we're 10 years, Love Life Now. Um, Love Life Now turns 10 in November, and I'm so, so excited. So that change has really, again, opened me up to so many vast opportunities and things that I probably wouldn't have experienced or been privy to if I hadn't been open. <laughs> yeah, you, certainly. You, you mentioned that Love Life Now is turning 10. As we begin to wrap up, what's the future of Love Life Now? What's the future of the legacy he left me? What's next in terms of your passion projects and, and how you'll be spending your time? Yeah, so a big part of it is touring with the book. And so far, the book was released in June. So far, we've hit cities in Arizona, uh, Boston, many places around Massachusetts, Minnesota, and most recently, Pennsylvania and New York. And the response has been phenomenal. So I don't see us stopping. And so talking to women's groups, talking to big, larger audiences, to more men, right? And again, having the book be an extension of the work that we do through LLN, aka Love Life Now. And so as far as Love Life Now goes, we're turning 10. So we're looking forward to a 10-year anniversary event coming up in November. And beyond that, continuing to host the initiatives that we host locally. But one of the things that I'm so incredibly excited about is potentially branching off these initiatives initiatives and Love Life Now as well as a whole into different cities across the country and across the world. We're in talks now with a contact of mine in London to try and start a Love Life Now arm there. And we've had talks with reps in Trinidad and Tobago, which is where I'm originally from, to start a Love Life Now arm there as well. And so the future is bright and possibilities are endless. And again, being open to opportunities that continuously, thankfully, come our way is what I'm excited about. Because the end result is more people getting educated around this issue, which at the core is what it's about for me. What it's always been about for me is people getting more informed about how they can be part of the solution, having them understand that where they are is not where they're destined to be, and finding help to get where they're destined to be. Well, I wish you the best of luck in all of these endeavors. Laverne Gordon, thank you so much for your time. I hope that you'll consider Suffolk University a partner in these endeavors. If you're looking for an audience looking to continue the work that you're doing, please, please, please reach out to us. I appreciate yeah. Suffolk. I love Suffolk. Thank <laughs> and you so I will. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. 
As always, be sure to check out our website at suffolk.edu slash career center and follow us on social media at Suffolk underscore careers. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, get connected to helpful resources by emailing title9 at suffolk.edu. That's T-I-T-L-E, the number nine at suffolk.edu.